you'll take your scriptures and turn over to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at the last few verses there, 46 through 49, as we continue in our resilience study. So our theme today is unique because we don't talk enough about this particular part of our life, and that is how do you handle the good days? Uh, and I say that because probably this week, I asked this first service, is you could probably look over the last week, and you probably had some good days. You probably had some rough days. Uh, how many had at least one or two rough days this week? Anyone? Good. Pretty depressed group here today. Okay, how many had a good day? Anybody have some good days? Good. Good. All right. Well, that's what we're going to get into is how do you handle the good stuff that comes our way? And God does a lot of great things, and that's what we're going to get into, and that's not always easy. So do you mind if I start with a corny joke? Good, so we're going to do that. So anyway, uh, you know, Daniel, what he was, uh, his specialty was he interpreted dreams. And so this, this is about a dream, and I like it because it's about baseball. So there's a guy, and he has a he's, a, he's in a deep trance, and an angel of the Lord comes to visit him. And the angel says, you know, I know, I know you love the Lord, and I know you love baseball. So I want to share some spectacular news. He said, what's that? He goes, there's baseball in heaven. And he goes, that is spectacular. He said, but there is some, well, disturbing news. He said, what's the bad news? He goes, you're the starting pitcher tomorrow. Boom. Okay. Well, that went over better than the joke first service, okay? I actually had somebody say, that's the worst joke I've ever heard. Okay, I thought the same thing. It was that bad. Okay. Good news, bad news. We kind of live with that paradox throughout our lives. And it's interesting, even in the course of a day, you can start off and maybe you're having a good day and it can go south or you wake up and you're, thinking a, you're in a terrible mood and it can develop into a really good day. So we're going to get into how do you handle the good times and they come all along. I read this on a bumper sticker and I love this. It says, the bad news is time flies, but the good news is you're the pilot. That's pretty good, okay? So I heard a survey, uh, some research done by the BBC and also through the University of Michigan, and they studied headlines and what drew people to headlines uh, reading the paper, and they found that negative news always draws more attention. Matter of fact, in Russia, only Russia would do this, it's called the City Reporter, they printed a paper that had 100% good news, and all the pictures were uplifting, like, you know, lollipops and butterflies, and by the end of the day, sales decreased by two-thirds. Why? Because we're kind of motivated by bad news. But yet we need to step back as followers of Christ and say, you know, there are good days. There are actually great days. And don't, don't move too quickly away from celebrating those great days. You passed the test. Or the test came back from the doctor negative. You got the job. You got the raise. You got the promotion. Your offer has been accepted. It's a boy. It's a girl. Wow, we won. Have you ever played on a pathetic team? Everybody needs to play on a championship team and a pathetic team. And if you've ever played on a pathetic team and you win, like some of your parents have been through this, your kids maybe won that first game, that's a big deal. That's your World Series. And we need to understand that in life, that will happen. The reason is, Week after week, we've shared this, that our core values, which I would call our non-negotiables, they determine our decisions. Our decisions determine 
our destiny. So you're going to see uh, two extremes uh, when you see the life of Nebuchadnezzar the king that we're going to talk about here in just a moment and the life of Daniel. You've got to see the good news, bad news play out. Nebuchadnezzar is prideful. Uh, he's incredibly insecure. He surrounds himself with yes men. Anybody know what a yes man is? It's the person who always agrees with you and rubber stamps decisions. And uh, that never gets an organization anywhere. And he surrounded himself with yes men except for Daniel. Daniel, on the other hand, had these non-negotiables in life, these core beliefs that drove him. And he was never a yes man other than yes to God and doing it God's own way. And you see the difference. You see the difference in both of these leaders' lives. And you'll see because of the path that Daniel chose that he was blessed beyond measure. Rick Warren said this, God tests us with stress before he blesses us with success. And that's true. He will test us. But those tests uh, prepare us in the stress of those for the success that comes. Thomas Jefferson said this, I'm a great believer in luck, and I believe that the harder I work, the more I have of it. And isn't that true? The harder you work, the luckier you get. And that's not a coincidence. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Daniel and how he handled the good days, the success. And uh, it's important to write these down. They're in your bulletin. I want to jot some of these down. And here's the first thing, and I want you to think about this. It's so important. Daniel never forgot his roots. Follow with me starting in verse 46 of chapter 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, and he paid him honor. And he ordered that an offering and uh, an incense be presented to him. And then the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods. You might want to highlight that. And the Lord and the king of kings, the revealer of the mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position, and he lavished many gifts on him, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and he placed him in charge of all its wise men. Now, that was not an overnight success. This was a man who was diligently following God's will, and because of that, he was rewarded. He was a man of character. He was a man devoted to the ways of the Lord. And the king not only noticed, but the king said, did you notice that? In essence, I used to worship a lot of gods. And Daniel, I've watched you. And I realize I need to just worship your God. Wow. That's a good day. So when you're in the midst of work, so I want to talk to all of you that have jobs and if you don't have a job, you're going to have a job. And when the good days come, uh, these are just some practical tips uh, that I've experienced and biblical tips of what to remember during the good times. Here's number one. Remember who your boss is. Remember who your boss is. Colossians 3.17 and then Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, 
not for men. I love those two whatevers. Whatever you do, don't forget God. Don't ever leave God out. No matter what promotion you get, no matter what great thing is happening in your life, uh, even if you need to whisper, man, Jesus, thank you, okay? Don't wander too far away from God during the good times. Whatever you do, give him praise. And then whatever you do, work hard. Christians ought to be the hardest workers ever. Work hard, roll up your sleeves, and remember, this is key, who your boss really is. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Uh, how many of you are frustrated with your boss? Don't raise your hand. Heather, don't raise your hand. Okay, so, so if, if we're honest, at one time or another in our lives, we're going to get frustrated with our bosses. And if you're a boss, guess what? They're going to be frustrated with you. That's the way life works. We know that. But I, I want to be really honest about a really, really hard time in my life, uh, around 92, 93. Uh, I don't know what a nervous breakdown is, but I know what it is to get close. And I was just, um, I was really pretty serious about walking away from ministry. It was just, I was just beat up. And uh, I was doing this Colossians study called Precepts by Kay Arthur. And I was, I was just plowing through Colossians. And I thought this will be a good study for the youth. You ever been in one of those? And I realized, oh, yeah, this isn't for the youth. Like, this is for me. And the deeper I got into it, I'm, I, I realized, man, I messed up. And when I got to chapter 3, it happened at a truck stop. My revival <laughs> happened at a truck stop with some bad coffee. And it's when I got to verse 17 and verse 23. And you know why I was driving myself crazy? I didn't know who my boss was. I mean, I... I was working at Sherwood Oaks. My boss has to be the board. And then one day I'd wake up, I'd go, no, the boss are all these kids that God has given me the, this amazing opportunity. Go, no, they're not the boss today. It's the parents. There was more than one morning I'm like, it's the parents. You know, and I just back and forth, and I just was literally, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I'm just sitting there crying, and I'm crying, and I'm like, God, I can't get a handle on this. And we had a newborn at home. A little one and now a newborn, and I, so I can't drag that home and say, hey, Marie, I can't take this, but I'm just, and all of a sudden I could just, it wasn't like this big audible voice, the clouds didn't open up, but I tell you what, as clear as day, God's like, you have forgotten who your boss is. I'm your boss. I'm the boss. And if every day you just honor me, do you really need any other bosses? Do you need any other? I'm like, no. And I would like to tell you that it changed immediately, but it was pretty close to immediately. I mean, it went in a short time, I'm like, from now on, I'm just going to, I'm really going to try to seek one, one approval. And if God is good, I'm good. I really am. And I know for some of you, that may be a hard lesson right now for you. You don't really know deep down who your boss is. So let me encourage you, don't take shortcuts. Don't be a Debbie Downer, you know. Um, sometimes a Christian, we're our own worst enemies. I mean, seriously, our witness, you know what hurts our witness? It's people don't see that we take this stuff we believe in really seriously because they don't see the joy in our lives. And it's important. 
which leads me to the second uh, tip, I guess, and that is simply this. Don't short-circuit celebrations. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says this. Through you, have, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So there's two words here. You've heard this before. That's the word joy and happiness. And the word happiness the root of it is happens, and in other words, something has to happen, something conditional, in order for you to have a good day. So you wake up, think of how many times we let the weather determine whether or not we're going to have a good day, or something conditional. That's happiness, and what's interesting is Jesus didn't die for our happiness. On the other side, there's joy, where happiness is something has to happen on the outside, so we feel it in the inside. Joy is on the inside that isn't determined by what's going on the outside. I love when Tony preached that sermon a few weeks ago about inside out. And that's joy. Joy is this deep, like, joy because of what? What Peter just said. He said, God, you have saved me. I don't ever want to forget that you saved me. And because of that, I have this inexpressible, and let me just say, an unexplainable joy. And people can't figure you out when you have that kind of joy. I'll just tell you that straight up. There is no way they can figure you out. My mom, uh, I wish you could meet her. My mom had these amazing sparkling blue eyes. And my mom was just giddy most of the time with the joy of Jesus. And I mean, life kicked her in the teeth. I'll be honest. She had it hard. Not just growing up in the Depression, but I mean, hard. My mom had every excuse to be sour. You know, her husband dies when she's young. Uh, she's got seven kids. I'm the youngest, okay? Pray for that one. I mean, think about, and yet, uh, I, it took me the longest time to figure her out. And uh, boy, when I did, uh, it makes all the difference. It's the joy of Jesus Christ. And it's sad because I think there are people that look at Christians and they honestly think, why would I want to be one of those? They look like they're miserable all the time. They're always thou shalt not, and they, they got a 50-pound Bible. I mean, that's how they kind of carry themselves. And they're like, why would I want to do that? No. You want the joy of Christ to come through you just so people can't figure you out. I'm so thankful years ago when I started here at Sherwood Oaks, I still remember uh, sitting down and having lunch with Tom Ellsworth and him saying, John, fight with everything in you to try to be positive because the world beats people down. And uh, I love that Tom is positive. And I'm so thankful for our elders at Sherwood Oaks because they've taught me for years how important it is uh, to have the joy of Christ. One of my greatest memories in ministry actually happened right across the street here. And I was in my 20s. I was a youth minister. And for years, I'd put together this thing. I'd get area churches, and we called it the Crazy Christian Olympics. And really, the only requirement was if you were athletic, it wasn't for you because it was just... <laughs> There was not one game that would help you. Uh, we did really mature things with potato sack races and belching contests and a whole, whole list of things. So to launch this at Cars Park, we had all these youth groups here. You don't have a big Olympic torch. And my budget was like 23 bucks. So we lit, the, we lit the barbecue grill, extra charcoal. So we lit it. But I thought, how can I really start this Olympics in a powerful way? And the answer was simple. We need elders in togas. So we got some of our elders, 
And they weren't, you're thinking I'm lying. I wish I had a picture of proof. And uh, they have the togas on, and they, they went around the side of the park, and they would hand off the flame. And uh, I think it was the oldest elder lit the barbecue and said, let the, <laughs> let the games begin. And, it, and, it, and you, know what it, you know what it communicated to all those young people? I want to be like that. I don't understand. I wouldn't mean, even it was disturbing, but it was just one of those, wow. And honestly, we need more of that. We really do. A church needs to step out and say, we want more great days because God is great, isn't he? I mean, seriously, isn't God great? And I love that he never, ever forgot his roots. He never short-circuited the celebration. And then this is the third just advice, is no matter what comes your way, when you get the promotion, you get the new job, or it's, it's going your way, always stay hungry and stay humble, always. The moment you think you've arrived, you're in trouble. You've never arrived. It just means you're getting started. Whatever comes your way, whatever promotion, whatever good comes your way, stay hungry. Uh, any young person who comes to me, because um, I remember I was the same way, and they're like, what, what should I do next, and blah, 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 and I always say, the first 100 days, I said, write this down. Here's your number one thing. Number one, be a good listener. You don't have to set the world on fire yet. Just listen. Just listen, and you'll be surprised what you learn. You see, there's something about this idea of being humble and hungry and the culture that that creates. So I read a little book called QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. It's written by John Miller. And what he does in this book, it's this is a book of questions of, that lead you to deeper questions. So it's, it's a really interesting book. But he shared the experience that he had. And I want to share it with you because uh, I thought, boy, that is so good. He said uh, he was working on this book. And uh, in the Houston area, he went to his favorite restaurant called the Rock Bottom Restaurant. And he said it was jam-packed. And he said, I walked in, and there was one seat, and it was on the bar. And he thought, I'll take that seat, even though that means I'm probably not going to get served for a while. And he waited for a couple minutes, and sure enough, it was so crazy. Uh, he thought, they don't even know I'm here. And a young man, busboy with all the dishes piled up, walk, walked by, glanced, saw him, sat the things down, walked up and said, uh, wiped his hand, how can I help you? He said, uh, well, I need a salad to go and a roll, and I need a Diet Coke. He said, we, we don't serve Coke, how would Pepsi? He goes, nah, I don't want a Pepsi. Um, I'll just take water with lemon. He said, no problem. Zips in there, here's the bustle, comes out, he's got it all ready for him. He said, sir, I hope this is uh, good, and all you have to do is go to the counter, they'll take care of you. Goes to the counter, checks out. He's headed out the door. When he gets to the door, feels a tap on his shoulder. Here's that young man. He goes, here's your Diet Coke. He goes, whoa. Goes out to his car. He's like, wait a second. I'm writing a business book. Forget the next meeting. Goes back inside. Waves the kid down. Says, first of all, hey, kid. He's yelling across the restaurant. Great service. How in the world? Two questions. I thought you didn't sell Coke products. We don't. How did you get the Coke? He said, well, they are running a special across the street, a dollar Coke. So there it is. Question number two, how did you have enough time to get me my salad and then run and get me a Coke? 
You didn't have enough time. He said, I didn't run across the street to get your coat. That's what the boss did. Now you know why the restaurant was full. It had nothing to do with the food. Food's probably good, but I imagine there's a lot of good restaurants. What separated it was what? Everybody served. There's no such thing as, I'm the boss. I don't serve. No, you serve. There's no such thing as, I'm a busboy. You know what my job is? To take the dishes from here to here, and I hate my job. I hate my life. You ever been to a restaurant like that? Most, I could go on and on on that one. But anyway, <laughs> like, seriously, that is such a big part is always stay hungry and humble. And uh, that, that is so important. People have asked me, uh, even in the last few weeks, they said, hey, can you explain what's going on, on the west side? And I'm always like, no, I can't. But I'll tell you this, and this is, this is just the honest truth. It's because of you. Because you're still hungry and you're humble. You see something that needs to be done, and guess what? You just do it. You don't complain. You do it. You don't talk about all the things we don't have. You just focus on the things that we do have. I see it week after week after week. You could be in a rotten mood this morning, couldn't you? I mean, I was standing out there. I mean, good line. You got an hour less sleep. You got this virus that's going to kill half of us by next Sunday. I mean, come on. You could be in a bad mood. But you know what? You're walking in here. You're here. You're here. And uh, I just want you to know, I don't, I don't take that for granted. And I do know how blessed I am to have that. The second part of Daniel that I love is this, how this unfolds is he never forgets his friends. He never forgets his friends. Matter of fact, look at verse 49. This is so good. Moreover, at Daniel's request, remember, he's just been lavished with all this stuff. He's been promoted. He's getting all kinds of stuff. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king, did you get this, appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the providence of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Did you notice the first thing he did? He wanted to share it with his friends. He has this conversation with the king. Think how easy it would have been to take all the credit. Yeah, I interpreted that dream, and it's pretty obvious that uh, I'm a pretty big deal. You know, I mean, he could have easily pulled the anchor man, but no, what'd he do? I want to make sure that my friends receive what they deserve, because you know what? They've been with me the whole time. So I want you to know, I don't only want to brag on all of you. I want to brag on a real special group of people, and that's the staff that I have the privilege to work with. You know, when we have staff meetings, do you know who complains about what we don't have? Me. No, it's not them. It's me. I sure wish we had this, or if we could just have that. And it's interesting, the staff's like, they never get into that. They kind of let me go off on my little rant, and they're like, yeah, but man, isn't it good? And they'll say, here's the things that we're planning on doing. Here's the outreaches that we want to plan. Here's how we can reach more people. Here's how we get 100 more chairs. Here's how and I love that about them. I mean, honestly, to see the servant heart that they have. You know, in basketball, they say going for the loose ball. That's what I look. If you ask me what I'm looking for with anybody that I work with, that's what I look Is Are you willing to scrape your knees and go through the hard times? Uh, there was a guy years ago named Ben Merrill, and he said when he would interview anyone, <clears throat> one of his most interesting questions was, are you willing to move tables and chairs? 
I, I remember when I heard that years ago, I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I know exactly what he means by that now. Don't you? You see something that needs to be done. You roll up your sleeves. You say, well, I'm going to do that. But here's the next thing is I want to do that with my friends. In my life, uh, God has worked me over a few times when I know my motives aren't what they should be, is that when a friend gets a promotion and it bothers me, I know there's something wrong with me. You know, I want my friends to do well. I want my friends to succeed. I really do. Um, I'm going to talk a few weeks down the road, but this last week, uh, there was a church that blessed. There was 11 area ministers, and we got a chance to go out and pray at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. These guys, these ministers are from all different churches in Bloomington, and there were two requirements for you to go on the trip. You know what one of them was? Don't talk about your church and what the attendance is at your church. You talk about God or you're not going on the trip. No problem. And let me just tell you how sweet the fellowship was. My greatest memory, I got to be with Jim Simbla, but was sitting across the table from some ministers I've never met over cheesecake and fries <laughs> and just talking about Jesus and encouraging one another to be able to say how, how we love one another and how hard life is and talk about our families. I'm like, wow, I think that's the way God wants it to work, don't you? that you love your friends, you love how they're doing. And I love this about Daniel. Like, he's concerned about his friends. He never forgot his roots. He never forgot his friends. When I was in college, I remember this. Man, it was awesome. But when the United States beat Russia in hockey, I had this huge poster in my room for two, three years. And uh, people forget that wasn't the gold medal game. They had to win another game to win the gold medal. And they won that. But I'll never forget this, um, and I'm still a sucker for this. Every time they watch the, I watch the Olympics, and they have the medal ceremony, and they play the Star Spangled Banner, I still ball. I think it's the best. I could care less that it's commercialism and all that. I don't care. It just, there's something in me. And I remember the captain, Mike Ruzioni, uh, was on this pedestal, and they played the, you know, the national anthem, and it was just so powerful. Uh, but what was even better, as soon as that song was over, does anybody remember what he did? He started waving his arms. You know what he was saying? Get up here with me. And here's that whole team just huddled up, and they're just celebrating. And they knew from this point on, life will never be the same. But in this moment right now, there's not a better place on earth that we've shared this with one another. There's nothing better in the world than the church. Huddled together through it all, that's a good day. It's a great day. So I just want to thank all of you for being a part of this family and what that means. And uh, we're going to go through hard times. Every family does. But let's not forget the good times. And today, being with you, it's a good day. I want you to know that.